How is it going everybody? Welcome back to CEO Journals. For those of you that are new here, I'm your host Ethan Bridge and I just want to start off by saying thank you all for tuning in to today's episode. Let me introduce you to this week's guest on the podcast, Bob Sager. Most businesses aren't as profitable as they could be. For many, sluggish sales, price competition or both are the norm. Many businesses are actually earning smaller margins than they should because consumers don't perceive them as uniquely valuable. There's an old saying, if you keep doing what you've been doing, you'll keep getting what you've been getting. Simple. And this is where Bob steps in. With over 30 years experience in sales, training and entrepreneurship, with a mastery of psychology, sociology and biology of the human decision making, he is adept at using creative thinking methods to convert this knowledge and experience into exceptional strategies that cause customers to perceive superior value. Best of all, These strategies he advises are easy to implement. Like hinges on a door, they are the little things that add huge perceived customer value and ultimately swing buying decisions. If you're doing something that works, competitors are going to copy you. So continuous innovation is a must. And to innovate, you've got to be creative. You may disagree with me. However, I believe everyone is a creative thinker. And Bob and I in today's episode are gonna prove this to you. I cannot wait for you to hear what Bob has to say. So without any further ado, let's dive straight into today's episode. Enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to CEO Journals. I've got a brilliant episode lined up for you today because I have Bob Sager on the show. Bob, how are you doing today? Hey, Ethan, I could not be better, my friend. Awesome. I cannot wait to talk to you. So... For the listeners who don't know who you are, would you mind just giving us a quick 60-second introduction of who you are and what you do, please? Uh, Sure. I'm the founder of a company called Spearpoint Solutions. And Spearpoint Solutions, uh, predominantly, we're in the world of, uh, I would call it the world of creativity, but maybe not how people think of creativity. Um, I'm not an artist. I I couldn't draw... uh, you know, those contests where they have you send in and draw Blinky. Uh, I can't draw a stick version of Blinky. Uh, but what, uh, what we teach in the, in the uh, training that we do is how to utilize your creative mind. Um, and then I do also a lot in the, in the world of developing strategies based on 30 plus years of experience, uh, a couple of decades plus of studying human beings. And combining that with uh, creative thinking methods, um, you know, to develop strategies to help companies differentiate themselves in the marketplace. Amazing! I can't go, I can't wait to go into that more detail. But as if you've probably listened to one of my episodes before, as you mentioned, I like to start all my episodes by sort of throwing it back with my guests and asking them about their time at school, just to give the listeners a bit of a background to sort of what education you had and how you were like at that time and how that transitioned going on later in life. So let's focus on a 16 year old version of yourself. How were you in school? Yeah. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Were you a a straight A student? Did you coast along or did you just damn right hate school? I I was definitely not a straight A student, though I probably could have been if I would have applied myself a little bit more. Um, Mm. You know, I, I got mostly A's, some B's, and my senior year, which I guess would have been past 16 years old, 
I got, uh, I think, a C. Um, but school, I always found very easy. School in the traditional sense. Um, and and I, I, I'm, hmm, how do I want to say this and be nice, Ethan? I think traditional schooling does not serve people very well uh, in that it really does not prepare them for the world that exists today. And mm. so, um, you know, as I think back on it, sort of glad I actually had some fun and played some sports and you know, had a lot of friends and did that when I was 16 years old, as opposed to just being a bookworm and um, trying to make straight A's. No, I, I do agree with you on that as well, because I feel as if one thing that school doesn't teach you, which is one of probably the most important things later on in life, is on having an entrepreneurial mindset, because you are just straight, learn from the book, pass the test. That's not, that's not life, is it? You, are, you have to learn to overcome your own problems, and especially when you go later on go and get a job, you have to be entrepreneurial, you have to be creative in order to do well at that job. You don't read from a book and answer questions from a book your whole life. Well, hey, not only that, but in my estimation, in today's world, people, even if they're an employee, they really do need to have that entrepreneurial mindset um, to, to thrive in today's world. I mean, you might be able to survive you know, just by having somebody tell you what to do all day long. But that really, um, those kinds of jobs with the advent of AI and automation of all sorts, those aren't going to be around much anymore. And mm. so you prepare yourself with some new skill sets and some, some new mindsets. For sure. So when you were at school then, and you were, you, you said found school very easy, did you, did you know what you wanted to do? Did you know that you were going to end up starting your own business? Or did you think you were just going to leave school, get a job and spend your life doing that, essentially? Yeah, I, I really didn't have a clue, frankly. And I think <laughs> a lot of 16-year-olds don't. I think mm. a lot of 18-year-olds don't. I remember, you know, because I did relatively well academically, my parents expected me to go to college, even though we really didn't have the money for that. Um, but, you know, I went to college and I, yeah, I jokingly, <laughs> I jokingly say I had a double major my freshman year in college, and that was chasing girls and drinking beer. <laughs> so, good start. Good start. <laughs> if you want to make good grades, that's not probably the two best things to major in. But really, you know, I mean, I, I had no clue what I really wanted to do. And I think it takes a lot of people a while to figure out. Now, one of the things that I will say, Ethan, is from early on, I was bitten with the ambition bug that, mm -hmm. you know, I grew up uh, right on the border of four. And, and um, you know, my parents were good people, but they just, you know, they worked hard. They just didn't make a lot of money. And I remember being 10 years old asking to buy me something. And they said, we don't have the money for that. And I remember thinking to myself, well, I'll go make the money for it because I want to, you know, because I want it. And so, you know, I just, I had, so I've been working and making money doing something since I was 10 years old. So for me, I guess maybe fit with the ambition, Bob, but that doesn't necessarily equate to being an entrepreneur. For sure. So you initially started off your journey as a contractor in the financial services industry? Yeah, I spent four years in the real estate business uh, mm -hmm. and um, about six months selling new cars. 
Uh, that was an interesting experience, but, uh, but that sort of introduced me to the selling cars, I should say, introduced me to the world of being able to determine my own income. Mm. And that was pretty exciting because, um, I, you know, prior to that, you know, I made, like I said, like I alluded to I, making money, selling things door to door and stuff like that. But I really, you know, I worked full time, went to college full time. And, you know, I was just used to having, you know, a job for, for those years. And, um, yeah, but then I got into selling cars through a string of events and I started making four or five times as much money as I was used to making prior to that. Yeah. And I thought, yeah, I don't especially like the car business, but I could get used to making this kind of money. So sure. it sort of uh, launched something for me. But I suppose that translates quite well into what you do now and those that do end up starting their own businesses because what you get, what you put in is what you get out. It's not something like with a secure job as an employee where you are paid the same salary every month no matter what you do. It's, it's tough work. If you don't put in the hours, you're not going to get the money. You're not going to get the contracts. You're not going to get the new clients. Well, no doubt about that. And, and the other thing I think a lot of entrepreneurs, um, people who want to be an entrepreneur, something that you, you have to be prepared uh, for is being underpaid in the beginning. Mm. Uh, being willing to work through that and just recognize, you know, there are a lot of things that you don't know. You think you do, right? But you just, you don't really know things until you're doing them. And so you're going to make a lot of mistakes. And because of that, you're probably going to be underpaid. Um, and you're going to have those times where you go, man, this is just not working. It's just too hard. And it's much easier to be an employee um, in the beginning. Yeah. Now, once you position yourself to you get to a certain point, then you, know, you, can, you can more readily take advantage of uh, and have an abundance of what I call the five forms of wealth. So, but you have to be prepared um, in the beginning to be a little bit underpaid. So what, because what, I don't know what those are. What are those five forms of wealth that you've just mentioned? Yeah, the, the five forms of wealth, at least in my estimation, are money, time, satisfaction, relationships, and health. Mm. And to me, to have a truly wealthy lifestyle, you've got to have a relative abundance of all of those and a balance between them too. Uh, I mean, I know a lot of people with a lot of dough, you know, that they're divorced three times and their kids don't speak to them. Well, what kind of life is that? You know, that, or, you know, what if you got a lot of money, but you can't walk up a flight of stairs without getting money? That's, that's not very wealthy, right? Does that For make sure. sense, Ethan? Yeah, of course it does. Then, as you say, you can't, it's, it doesn't really make sense if one isn't, in line with the rest of them as you, cause for the, for those prime examples there. So I completely agree with that. Um, so being a contractor then, do you, did you do that in a sense because you didn't want to be stuck under one particular roof for a certain period of time? Or did you like that personal responsibility of always sort of being, even though you didn't have your own business as such, you were effectively on your own terms? Right. And, and listen, when I started in the financial services uh, industry, I was with what is called a captive company. A lot of people don't know the difference. I surely didn't when I started. 
But what that means is I was captive to their group of products, even though I was an independent contractor as opposed to an yeah. employee. The only products I had to represent um, were their products. And when you're brand new, you've got a lot of enthusiasm, but you don't know anything. And so I don't like really not knowing things. So I took all the company training and I studied and, and uh, you know, learned as much as I could on my own. And what I found was if I was going to do the proper job for a client and be client-centered as opposed to company-centered, then I really needed to have a relationship with multiple companies. Um, you know, as I, as I think back on that first company, they had some good products, but one size doesn't fit all. And mm -hmm. uh, so it's like having a good quality size nine shoe which is fantastic when somebody needs nine, yeah. you know, but what if they need 12 or six, you know, you don't know there's a difference in the beginning. You're just trying to force everybody into a size nine. Well, that doesn't work very well for me. You know, I guess maybe if you just don't care or don't care to know any different, uh, but you know, I like to be centered around clients and, and doing what's right for them and really helping their life. For sure. So where did uh, Spearpoint Solutions come to fruition then? Where did you suddenly get that idea and begin to start? Yeah, well, it was an evolution. It wasn't, it wasn't like a sudden uh, um, revelation or anything. One of the things I found in my career in financial services was I would see both clients and reps that I hired and trained uh, you know, in my company. I would see them sabotaging themselves financially. And, and it just, the more I saw it, Ethan, the more it bothered me. And I thought, why do people do these things? You know, why do they, you know, you put together a perfect financial plan for people, they follow it for a little bit, and then they fall back into old habits. Or, you know, in the case of a, a representative on my team, you know, they go through the licensing curve, the learning curve. They're just about to, to uh, begin having some success. You know, and then they start uh, not returning phone calls in a timely fashion, missing or rescheduling appointments, all those things that lead to failure. And I, so it, that led me down a pathway of studying human behavior and the psychology of human behavior and why people do the things they do and why they don't do the things they don't do. And, and it really uh, was very enlightening uh, for me personally. And, you know, I started uh, applying some of the things that I knew were necessary to changing. And so it really took my success to a whole new level. And I thought, you know, I could probably help a whole lot more people in a bigger way, faster, by teaching them these principles. And so... You know, I ended up starting Spearpoint Solutions really to train people on personal achievement and the mindset and disciplines and, and uh, things that, uh, that it took to do that. And the creative thinking was really kind of a minor part of it, but it, it's instructive on the fact that sometimes you just don't exactly know the pathway that it's going to take. Mm -hmm. And so what I discovered. Uh, as I started studying more about creative thinking, this is a bunch of years now. And I, I started, <laughs> when I first started studying creative thinking, I noticed that I was coming up with ideas and strategies that 
it was like, I really, at that point, did, I really didn't consider myself all that creative a person. And uh, I thought, I remember looking around going, where are these ideas coming from? Like, they're surely not coming from me because I'm really not that creative. But what I discovered was that everybody is born as a creative thinker. It's just that uh, through a couple of different factors, formal school is one of them. Um, that's sort of trained out of us. And um, and there's another factor of biology, which we can get into if you want to. For sure. Um, but yeah, so I started thinking, you know, as I started reactivating my creative nature, I started injecting more of this into some of the training uh, workshops that we were doing. And then um, I, the, I discovered one very simple creative thinking technique called combinatory play, which I learned later, by the way, it was Einstein and Da Vinci's favorite creative thinking method. And I discovered that uh, you could take that simple technique and just in a 45 minute or 90 minute workshop, the people that were participating in that, they would really, some of them would tell me overtly, and some of them you just tell by the change in their physiology, that it, it changed the way they viewed themselves and what was possible for them in the world. I mean, I, I remember specifically somebody telling me, hey, you know what, I'm a little sharper than I thought I was. You know, I'm a little better than I've been giving myself credit for. And, uh, and I said, it, that was kind of an epiphany. I said, you know, we could probably affect people bigger by teaching them this and teaching them these creative thinking methodologies and having them apply that practically in business and life. And so it gradually evolved into that's the majority of the work that we do now. I mean, the only personal achievement work that I do is I have a book on personal achievement that I wrote early on. And uh, uh, about three times a year, I run a business success mastermind group. Um, you know, and we get into some of that with, with other entrepreneurs that I'm trying to help level up. So it's a long and winding road, Ethan. For sure. That technique that you mentioned, um, I'd love to go that into a, a little bit more detail because the majority of my audience, so 50% of my audience is between the ages of 18 to 25, which to me suggests that these are new entrepreneurs, want to be entrepreneurs, or simply thinking of business ideas or products that they can come up with. So this sounds like this technique could be perfect for those who have no idea what they want to do, or if they've got no, no business idea, no product idea. So Sure. What, what is the technique and how do you propose it to these individuals that you're coaching? Right. Um, it's called combinatory play. And by the way, I've built a game around this technique. It's called what's the big idea. And we use that game um, at our, we call them creative thinking training fun shops. I call them fun shops because they're not work, right? Nice. People yeah. laugh, they have fun, they compete uh, you know, on a friendly basis. Uh, but let me give you an idea of this technique that's at the heart of that. People, let me, i got to preface this by saying that people don't think in, in words, they think in pictures. You know, if I, if for example, if I say the word dog to you, there's an image of a dog that pops up into your uh, consciousness, not the images of the letters D, O, and G. Mm. If I say the word kitchen, the image of a kitchen pops up into your awareness. Now, the interesting thing is, is if you start combining words, if I say dog 
kitchen. Now all of a sudden you're, uh, especially if I give you a direction to think, and I say, let's come up with a, an idea for a new product, service, or business by combining those two words. And I go dog kitchen or kitchen dog, and you go, well, what could that be, right? What kind of a product could that be? Um, and so, and I guarantee you, Ethan, as you're listening to this, your, your creative yeah. imagination is starting to work on it, isn't it? Yeah. Right? The wheels are starting to turn. And um, so it's, uh, and it, it, you know, in the game, and we use this in, in one of the creative thinking fun shops that we do, uh, the game has three teams. And so these teams get sets of words and they have that as a goal. Um, that's at least one of the rounds. Uh, is come up with an idea for a new product, service, or business, and they get three minutes to do it. Well, another team gets a separate set of words. They get three minutes to do the same. And then the third team that's involved is the customer team. And so each of the first two teams presents their idea to the customer team. And guess what? The customer team gets to decide, do I like this idea better? Or do I like that idea better? And we keep score and it's just, it's a blast. I mean, people, you know, new ideas are a little off center. And so when you're coming up with a new idea, it's a, it seem, it sounds a little strange at first because it's different. But I'll tell you, Ethan, we, at those, during that round at those uh, fun shops, we always hear a couple of things. One, people laugh their heads off, right? Because things that are new, a little bit strange, are funny. Uh, but the second thing that you always hear is, oh, that's a really good idea. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's just, uh, it's so fun and it's so different than the training that most people are used to. That, you know, anyway, we get into some other revelations, some other iterations, I should say, of that method where, We'll come up with ideas for creating sales, um, for creating differentiation in the marketplace. There's just a lot of different things that you can do around mm -hmm. that. But it's uh, you can, I think, probably see how much fun it is. For sure. And it's funny that you say all this as well about those who only really associate creative thinking with the arts, as in dance, uh, painting, singing, musical theatre and things like that, because that's what I would instantly associate it with. I wouldn't consider myself creative, but again, you've mentioned that game there. You've mentioned dog and kitchen and my mind's going crazy. I'm coming up with so many ideas. I might start something after this and no, I'm joking, but, right. um, <laughs> but it, it does just go to show that when you put your mind to a task and you give it the association and it does, it does start moving. It, the cogs do start twisting and you do start coming up with ideas, but how would right. you then, how would you then tackle, say uh, a business comes to you, they want to be more creative, you challenge them on something and they just go, oh, well, we've always done it this way. Right. Well, that's the most destructive you phrase that there is. Well, yeah. my first question would be, you know, well, how's that working out for you? Right. Mm. <laughs> because if it's working perfectly, well, they're probably not going to be talking to me then. Uh, but it usually isn't working perfectly. Right. Yeah. And, and the, and the more you do things the same way, the world is changing. The world always moves forward. So if you continue to do things in the exact same way, if you're not continually innovating, uh, you're going to be uh, outpaced and maybe put out of business by companies who are. And so, you know, you've 
in today's world of automation uh, and hyper competition, you have got to be that company if you want to thrive. You've got to be that company that uh, does innovate. And, and that innovation, by the way, when I say innovation, there's sort of in our, our modern world, there's been a sort of conflation of innovation and technology. And that's kind of a natural leap to make, but innovation isn't necessarily technology. And your innovation is just doing something better. And it doesn't have to be some sort of quantum leap, right? I mean, think about this. If we improve 1% a month on something that we're doing, employee engagement, um, sales in the marketplace, efficiencies internally in the production processes, whatever. If we improve 1% a month, that doesn't sound like a whole lot, but over time, the compounding effect is huge. So, you know, what I recommend to companies is develop a culture of creativity and innovative thinking. You know, I don't know if you've heard this, Ethan, but there was a survey of like 1,500 CEOs uh, of major companies, and they said that the number one soft skill that's most needed uh, is creative thinking. And, and yet there's almost no formal training um, yeah. you know, on a real practical level uh, about that. And so in terms of the training work we do, I think the timing's pretty good. Mm. For sure, especially at the moment where companies that haven't adapt we're this when this episode goes live we will still be in the pandemic for those future listeners this episode is being recorded in the pandemic and many businesses have gone bust because they simply haven't innovated in time they haven't been able to adapt to the situation of people being stuck in their houses and as you say it goes to show where this creative thinking mindset needs to be so so important because should these businesses have have had their head screwed on and thought of ways prior should anything like this ever happen they probably wouldn't be where they are now they wouldn't probably be stuck in that hole for example if restaurants had adapted quicker to the delivery surface and things like that but even some restaurants haven't adapted to that which i think is crazy right well and look the other thing that, that i think is so important um is i remember early on i heard in, in my career i heard you know the one of the biggest differences in the super successful and those who aren't is the questions they ask. And it's not questions they ask of others. It's questions that they ask of themselves. And so one of the questions that I would say, if, if people watching this and the pandemic is still going on, it's a pretty big obstacle, right? But a good question to ask is, in what ways might this obstacle actually be an opportunity? And so when you ask questions like that, have you ever noticed that questions open your mind, mm. right? Statements close our mind. When we say, well, that's impossible, boom, we're at a dead end. We can't go anywhere from that. But when we start asking things in a questioning kind of way, it turns on our natural creative abilities and it starts to, we start to develop solutions that we otherwise wouldn't have. Yeah, for sure. What would you talk to companies about in the terms of differentiation then? Because if companies aren't differentiating from each other, all they're essentially doing, the only thing they really can do is compete on price. And if you could drive prices into the ground, that's just the complete 
wrong thing to do because you're not going to be making any money. Your whole funnel is going to be upside down. So when you are talking to companies about differentiation, how do you approach that? Do you approach it in the same sort of manner or is there sort of different stance to that? Yeah, it's interesting. We have a, we actually have a, a, what I call a high value giveaway called finding hidden gems. And what it is, it's, it's turning your uh, underutilized assets into income is kind of the subtitle of that. It's available for free. Anybody that's listening to this can reach out and I'll make sure that they get a copy. What it is, is it's, we go through a process with companies where we list every asset that they have, right? And, and either that they have or they have access to, and then we'll apply to different creative thinking methodologies to each one of those to try to identify opportunities to utilize those assets in a more efficient way. Um, and, and in a way that differentiates them. Uh, do you, if you've got a minute uh, here, I'll give you an example. Go for it, yeah, cool. I had a company that was uh, actually the company that I worked with uh, when I was still in the financial services company, and they had a local office, and they had a, 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 a conference room. And their conference room was nice, and they had a training room was really nice, and those spaces sat empty about 95% of the time. And so what the, the strategy that we came up with for them was, why don't you put the word out into the community, just go out and do prospecting and let people know that if they need a nice space to meet, all they have to do is reserve that space, either your training room or your conference room, and they can come in and use it for free. Well, guess what? That drove a lot more people into their yeah. building. And when they were in that building, they would look around and go, hey, what do you guys do here, right? Oh, you know, we do life insurance and 401ks and college funds and IRAs and, you know, all the things that financial services companies do. And they picked up so many clients just from that one simple little switch in strategy. And guess what? It also gave them a much better way to go out and prospect. Right. Mm. By just going out and making people aware that anybody that wanted to use their conference or meeting uh, training space could use it at no charge. All they had to do was reserve the space. That's brilliant. It's, it's, it's sort of like a, a simple, it's, it, and when you think about it, it just seems so simple. And again, it's not costing them anything either. If, if they weren't even using the space in the first place, right. no brainer. Right. Exactly. That's, uh, you know, I, I I published a book about, uh, actually, it's over a year ago now, and uh, it, it just over the course of my day, I just come up with ideas and strategies all day long. It's kind of my demented version of fun, um, you know. <laughs> and it's sometimes in the course of, of working with clients and, and dreaming up ideas and strategies for them, you know, I'll come up with other things that are not related to that particular client case, and I, so I just had a big bunch of files full of these and I said you know these are not helping anybody sit in a file I said I think I'm just gonna put these in a book you know so that they'll benefit some people and I was trying to come up with a title for the book and I'm driving along in a car talking with my wife one day and I was telling her and trying to come up with a good title she's like why don't you just call it 101 freaking brilliant business ideas <laughs> so you did. So you did. So I did. I said, so and every chance I get, I tell people when they ask me about the title of that book, I'm like, yeah, that's not really even mine. You know, <laughs> I think I'm pretty smart, but that's my wife's title. 
<laughs> she was probably getting so angry with you at the time. Why can't he think of this? I'll just call it this freaking name and chuck that in there as right. well. So good on yeah, her. Good I, on her. That, that title gets a lot of attention, let me tell you. <laughs> I bet it. I bet it does. I bet it does. So I've, I've wanted to move on to the part now where I incorporate a bit of talking about failures. It's something I like to do in every episode. So a bit of background to why I do it, especially with social media nowadays. I feel as if the entrepreneurial business owning scene is being glamorized. It's essentially all we get to see is a highlight reel. We get to see these people who have already reached the peak of their success. They have got the fancy houses. They go on beautiful holidays every year, fast cars, but we haven't seen all the crap they've been through to get to that point today. And so I like to bring guests like yourself on and talk about your failures, bring some reality to the audience because they don't get to hear about the failures and essentially the failures are what everyone learns from and they're inevitable everyone's going to fail at some point so i'd love to talk to you about failures sure you know and my first comment on failure would be the only people that never failed at anything never tried anything yeah just yeah, but but i think the perception of failure is um I think people have a misperception of what failure is. What failure is, it's just a stepping stone towards success. You know, it's yeah. not a roadblock unless you treat it as such. So, you know, and I think some of that maybe comes from formalized school too, where you are sort of uh, scolded every time you have a failure, as opposed mm-hmm. to, hey, let's, what kind of lesson can we glean from this? Or, you know, what kind of resolve from can this help us build? Um, yeah, so it's a little bit maybe a, a skew. On yeah. Your- For sure, because the way I look at it is every failure is a lesson learned. And a lesson learned in my eyes is a success. So is the failure really a failure? That's the sort of outlook I have. Right. But I completely, the- I completely agree. <laughs> yeah. So when I ask you the question, because... Uh, for listeners who don't know when I send when I get the guests to book in a time I ask them to list their two biggest failures uh Bob put only two question mark as if to say there were a hell of a lot more um but we've we've narrowed it down to two and number one you can you said that in your earlier in the earlier days of your career you recall having such fear and anxiety when doing your first presentation in a new job in sales and you literally thought you were going to pass out so tell us a little bit about that, why you consider it as a failure and how you overcame it. Well, I, I, I'll tell you, I, uh, and when, you, when you're just telling me that story, all those emotions are coming back. <laughs> Sorry, I do apologize. Mind. No, no, that's, listen, I think you can learn. If you learn to discipline your emotions and learn from those, I think uh, they're not a bad thing at all. And so, yeah, I, I had alluded to the fact that I spent six months uh, selling uh, uh, cars, new old schoolmobiles, uh, back in the mid '80s, and I remember after my brief training period, I was out there doing my first presentation. Uh, they call it a walk around in the car business, and I remember suffering such anxiety that I literally could not take a breath. Uh, and I, I remember I was going through all these mental gyrations of, "You're not good enough." To I was 24 years old, right? You're not good enough. What are you thinking? You're not a salesperson. You can't do this. All kinds of things that, you know, all kinds of thoughts went through my head within a millisecond. 
And it was all the willpower I could do to force myself to take a breath. I literally did think I was going to pass out right there on the car lot in front of the customers. And so um, somehow, you know, I managed to persevere through that. I cannot recall, Ethan, if the people bought the car or not. <laughs> you were just glad it was over. Frankly, if they did, it was in spite of me, not because of me. <laughs> Uh, and so, yeah, that was, uh, that was the first one, but it would have been very easy. I think at the end of that day for me to, to say, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. Right. What was I thinking? Um, but you know, I just, I, I learned a lesson about the power of persistence that day and not yeah. giving up even when it feels hard. I think that's probably sort of a thing that most people find common in in they a lot of people do get anxious when they speak in front of large crowds or have to present themselves in front of a group of people because it can be overwhelming it's it's it is scary if you've not if you're not used to it do you feel as if you got over it just through more exposure of it or did that first time you thought that's so bad that it can only get better from here sort of thing no i i think what it was is a lot of times uh the, the idea of something is worse than a reality. And yeah. so I, I think I had probably overthought it uh, in the beginning. And it's like anything else. You know, I mean, anything that you do repeatedly, you're going to get better at. Um, you know, I mean, watch children when they're first learning to walk. Uh, they're terrible at it, right? But, <laughs> but they don't give up. <laughs> yeah my my first podcast episode is horrendous and people say to me oh i listened to your first podcast episode the other day i'm like no no <laughs> god i listen back to it and i i cringe i i talk like this and i don't and there's no and there's no intonation in my voice there's no enthusiasm there's nothing it sounds like i almost don't want to do it but i'm you'll be episode probably you might be episode 50 i'm i'm stuck on what episode i've done now i've done so many of these now that it just comes natural and i love it and i love talking to people and i hope that my enthusiasm shows through yeah you know and i think that's a that's a big part of what holds people back is that there are there are three stages of mastering anything it's always 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 awkward when you're learning a new skill yeah. or a new anything, right? It's always awkward. Um, and, and you, and you, you feel completely incompetent, right? And then even after you start learning it, you still, even though you're better at it, it still feels mechanical, right? Mm-hmm. And, but eventually you do it enough times, you know, it becomes natural. And, and, and I think why people quit, is they, they feel so bad in that awkward stage, and unless they have somebody to encourage them and mentor them through that and let them know it's not going to always feel that way, I think that's why people give up too soon. Yeah, I agree. And I'm glad I did keep, keep going because now I get the, enchant- the chance to speak to incredible, incredible entrepreneurs every single week. So I cannot complain. So right. you, you mentioned your uh, second failure is after having started your company that you had 15 cents in liquid cash 15 cents 15 How cents was in the... cash I wasn't like all that I had but yeah it wasn't that far off I had a nickel and a dime you know in US currency yeah and and I remember sitting there uh 
thinking to myself, because at this point, you know, I, the previous story, I didn't have any children. And at this point I did. And, you know, and it's like, you know, I've got people depending on me and I'm screwing up here. Uh, you know, and I mean, that moment, you know, I felt like such a failure. Um, it's just, just let people know, right? You're going to be an entrepreneur. You're going to feel like a failure sometimes. Uh, and it's, it's, that would have been very easy right then to go, you know, I'm going to go back into the, the world that I know in the financial services industry because I did really well there and I knew it already, or I'm going to go get a job working for somebody else. And I just, you know, I had a pity party for about an hour. Yeah. And, uh, and after that, I said, okay, well, clearly what you're doing isn't working as well as it should. Um, and so, you know, I just reevaluated, but it would have been so easy at that point too, Ethan, to just quit. Right. Did, that would have been you, the easy thing to do. Yeah. Did you have any employees at the time that you were, that were relying on you or was it just yourself? No, we, no we were just, uh, yeah, we were just in kind of our infancy and, you know, it's like, you know, it, it was super exciting at first. And then it's just like everything for a couple of months, you know, everything I touched uh, turned to crap. <laughs> you know? Well, like the opposite of the Midas touch. <laughs> yeah. But so, again, it shows it got, back it to got that. Better. Yeah. And as I say, it's, it's all goes back to that perseverance, like in the last point, that if you do persevere, you will get through the rough patches. The rough patches are inevitable. They happen to everyone. You can't expect life to be a breeze because it's not. There are there are bumps in the road. It's not it's not going to be all easy, is it? Absolutely not. Uh, and and look, if it were easy, uh, then anybody could do it. Exactly. Exactly. Where's the fun? Where's the fun or challenge in that? There's not. There's not. Okay, then that rounds up the bulk of the podcast episode today and i thank you so much for answering all my questions you've had some phenomenal answers i've learned a hell of a lot about creative thinking and the fact that i am actually creative which i didn't thought i was i'm now going to go as i said start a nice business idea about dogs and kitchens um but it's not over yet because i do finish every episode with a final five just five quick fire questions i ask all my guests and i hope you have five quick fire answers to them all so are you ready sure First question, who is the first person that comes to mind when I say the word successful? Um, wow, uh, the first person. Hmm. I mean, there's so many, uh, there's so many definitions of success. This is why I ask. I like to know what yeah, people no, associate the word with. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I guess it depends on what you're talking about. I mean, when I think about business success, um, boy, there's, I have so many sort of uh, heroes in business. Elon Musk comes to mind. I think he yeah. has a, a, a genius, maybe a little bit on the crazy side, but, uh, you know, are, are we all? Richard Branson comes to mind, you know, mm. so just a, a lot. But look, in terms of personal success, I mean, I think my wife is a tremendous success. You know, a, a mother homemaker, also very smart, you know, uh, in her career. 
So there's a lot of definitions of that. I'm, I apologize. It's not a rapid fire answer. No, I, I prefer it when people do that. I prefer it when people challenge the question. And this is what I try and put out the guests. I like to see them challenge the question of success because everyone has a different definition. It's not directly associated with money, in my opinion, which sure. a lot of people would instantly associate it with. So I completely agree with your answer. Well, if I if I can interject, you know, I, I think if you have I think if you have a relative abundance of those five forms of wealth that I said yeah. before, I think you're a success, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Question number two then. What is the best investment you've ever made? So this can be money, time, energy, or simply an Amazon purchase. Oh no, it's definitely an investment in myself and improving my knowledge and skill sets. That's by far um, mm. than any other investment. Is there anything in particular that stands out that you, maybe a course you purchased, event you visited to self-improve? Or is there like a book that stands out in particular that you read and it sort of like changed your perspective on something? Oh, my goodness. There are so many good books. <laughs> I've read within the last three or four years that I would strongly recommend that anybody who wants to be successful beyond average, they should read this book. It's called The Go-Giver. Uh, it's by Bob Berg and John David Mann. I've had, I've, I've had Bob on the podcast. He's a great guy. Oh, really? He's a great guy, Excellent. yeah. Yeah, yeah. He and I are, we're not friends, we're acquaintances. And mm. it's a, that's an outstanding book that outlines uh, really pretty basic principles, but uh, yeah, that's a, that's a good one. Yeah, for sure. And I, I, I completely recommend it as well. I've read it. It's brilliant. And Bob's a great guy. You can listen to that episode as well. It's phenomenal. So question number three, do you have a quote that you live by or think of often? Oh, that's interesting because I just shared on LinkedIn earlier today uh, a post that my favorite quote ever. And I, have a, I love good quotes. But my favorite quote ever uh, was from Henry Ford. Henry Ford said, if you think you can or think you can't, you're right. That makes you think. And I like, I like that. I like that. Thank you for that. I like that one. I haven't heard it. I haven't actually heard that one before. So it's good. And no one's mentioned it before. Oh, uh, the next my, question. My all time favorite. <laughs> Thank you. The next question is slightly selfish because I'm, I'm 21 years old. So the question is, what advice would you give to your 21 year old self? And I try to take everything on board that the guest answers in this question, because I'm 21. And if I can learn from what they would tell themselves at 21, obviously, I'm going to take it into account myself. Yeah, probably, you know, if I could tell my 21 year old self something, I would tell my 21 year old self to think bigger. Because I, I, I think that, um, I don't think, I know that most people do not think big enough. And it, mm. uh, thinking smaller costs more. Because, it, you know, when you're thinking smaller, you start expecting smaller and you start acting smaller. And so you don't achieve anywhere close to what your true potential is. So, you know, when you start thinking bigger and you start you're challenging yourself. I think one of the best things that ever happened to me is I, I had the opportunity to get around some people that did think bigger, that, that expected to achieve more. And that becomes infectious, right? Just like thinking small, it becomes infectious. And, uh, you know, when you get around people like that, uh, and especially as you realize, hey, you know what? The, 
they're just people too. Yeah. You know, if they can, if they can earn a million a year, maybe I can too. Right. And so you start considering possibilities that you didn't consider previously. Yeah. I'd completely agree with that as well, because that's part of the reason why I started this podcast. Before I started this podcast, I had no real connections, if any. And since starting, if, it's just it's just opened my mind to the amount of possibility there actually is. Like some of the things that these people I've spoken to have said, including yourself, I wouldn't even thought of a business idea in that realm. It's just opened my eyes to just basically tell me that the opportunities are endless. There is no limit. You can go as far as you want to go. You've just got to put the effort in. And, and the first step in that, Ethan, is you have to decide. Mm-hmm. Like you have to decide that you're going to. Um, and, and sometimes people get so hung up on, on how they're going to make something happen. Well, if you already know how, that's not exactly an aspirational goal, right? So you've got to look at something and decide, this is what I want. You know, yeah. and, and, and be clear on why you want it too, right? So, yeah, I hope that helps. No, it does. Yeah, it does. <laughs> I've got one final question for you. And it, I, it's, I apologize. It's a bit of a morbid way to end the episode, but I asked this question because I get some seriously, seriously interesting answers because it actually, a lot of people haven't actually been asked this question before. So it makes them think. And it's, are you afraid of dying? No. Why not? No. A- any reason I, as to why not? And I'll tell you why. Uh, is you know, I've, I've been around long enough in life uh, to have seen people that uh, that I have known and loved that aren't around anymore, and I, so I just I, I cherish every day. You know, uh, I read somewhere one time it's called the present for a reason, right? And you should treat each day as a gift. You don't know you're not promised tomorrow, right? And frankly, you're not even promised the rest of the day today. So I think. You know, when you have gratitude as sort of your core center and you treat each day as, you know, I'm going to do um, the maximum that I can do today. I'm going to live my life to the fullest. Then when your end of days comes, and by the way, I don't plan on that being for a long time. <laughs> but when it comes, you know that you gave it your all. You, you know that you did. Uh, the most that you can do. And frankly, one of the things that uh, this is maybe not a hundred percent related to the question, but one of the things that drives me is creating value for others in ways that continues to last even after I'm gone. So, you know, leaving that legacy of, of, of meaning and value in the world. Uh, and when you're working on that, when your time's up, your time's up. So no, I'm not afraid of death. Awesome. What an amazing one. What an amazing way to end the episode. And I thank you for that as well. Cause uh, people often get a bit, bit taken back by that question. Cause they don't know how to answer it or they seriously start to consider, Oh crap, am I afraid of dying sort of thing? But you had a fantastic answer. <laughs> so thank you so much for that. And that does round up all my questions for you. So that is, brilliant and you've answered them phenomenally beyond my expectations so thank you Fu, for answering them um but i'd like to pass it over to you now where can my guests follow up with you if they've got any questions where can they find you what have you got going on plug away um you, you know they can uh, if they want to 
if they want to read a little bit uh, into my mind, they can pick up my book. Uh, it's available for, I don't know, 20 bucks or something on Amazon, 101 freaking brilliant business ideas. If they really want to figure out if they're not achieving what they want, they can pick up my first book called Discovering Your Greatness, uh, subtitled A Higher Level Thinking and Action Guide. And, and by the way, it's like the antithesis of a Tony Robbins book. Uh, it's short on purpose, right? <laughs> I love Tony Robbins. Yeah. But, you know, you, 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 you pick up Awaken the Giant Within, it's like 900 pages. And it's like you get yeah. to page 50 going, well, this is a really long book. <laughs> um, <laughs> so you know, I think the, the strength of, the, of, the, uh, of my first book is its brevity, right? It's action-oriented. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, but beyond that, you know, LinkedIn is usually, you know, where people can find me online. Um, and, um, we actually have a pretty exciting new launch for our company coming up. So people, uh, by the time this episode is uh, being live, uh, that might be there and people can uh, learn all about what we're doing with, uh, with our, um, I'll let the cat out of the bag a little bit. It's business strategies as a subscription, as opposed to having to having to as opposed to having to pay like a 10k or more for me to create a strategy for you, a customized strategy. Uh, you get three a month for uh, a fraction of that. So very nice, very nice. That is pretty cool, isn't it? That is. I, I will leave a link to both the books in the show notes as well as well as your LinkedIn, and I'll also put your. Uh, company website address in the show notes as well so listeners you can simply scroll down and click on those no need to remember them because there's a lot there so just simply scroll down and they'll be there but bob once again thank you so much for your time and thank you for joining me on this episode of ceo journals pleasure to be here Ethan. So that's going to wrap up today's episode of the podcast and I can't thank you all enough for listening. I aim to interview some of the most incredible entrepreneurs every single week. So if you found any value in listening to today's episode, I'd seriously appreciate if you could smash that subscribe button and leave a five star rating and review. It only takes a couple of seconds and will help me secure some of the greatest names in business as guests on the show. If you want to reach out to me, head over to my Instagram at CEO Journals or send me a connection request on LinkedIn. I'd love to speak to as many of you as possible. Be sure to tune in next week where I'll be talking to another incredible guest where we will be discussing their journey and providing some great tips for all you listeners. I hope you have a lovely rest of your day. And once again, thank you for tuning in to today's episode of CEO Journals.